someone towards the end of that first year in uni. And um, he said about halfway along that journey, as a friend of ours left the flat, who was a Christian, he just said to me, she's got something that I haven't got. And we just started to talk. But he'd been watching for months. He'd just been watching and seeing. And it was undeniable, and God was using it. Now let's uh, read uh, a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll pray. We'll start together um, just for a few minutes, thinking about this idea of what I'm going to call gospel confidence. Uh, many of us love Jesus, but we struggle to believe that, that God could really use us to bring someone to faith in Jesus. And I want us to leave here encouraged and more confident that, yeah, God can, can use someone like me because God is at work in the world in extraordinary ways. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 we're going to read from verse 11 through to 6, verse 2. I don't have, I have two verses that I'm going to focus on. They'll come on the screen in a minute or two. If you've got a phone or a Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then, we're joining Paul halfway through his argument, but nevertheless, we're picking it up at 5.11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love, verse 14 compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, verse 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says... In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. See if we can. uh... So, how is your gospel confidence? And those uh, are our verses from chapter 6, verses 1. And to as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. Oh, some of it's gone, but never mind. Verse 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day 
of salvation. Let me start with a, a true story of one of the very first people who came to faith in the church we started, City Church Birmingham, back in 1999. He was a first-year law student at the University of Birmingham. He actually came to faith by reading a Gideon's Bible that was in his room at university. His family background was, well, it was, a, it was quite dysfunctional. There was alcoholism within the family and drug use and other things. So he'd had a pretty difficult upbringing. But it was a remarkable and wonderful version, testimony to God's grace. And God made of this young man a terrific evangelist, firstly as a student, and then when he went on to work for Birmingham City Mission after that. And he spent many hours on Saturday mornings and Tuesday mornings going into the city center with bookstores and tables and speaking of Jesus and sharing uh, the gospel. And we worked out that over the 10 years or so that he was doing this, that he preached 3,000 hours in the city center of Birmingham, 3,000 hours. And we interviewed him at church, and we asked him this question, what's kept you going? Why have you gone out again on Saturday mornings? And Why do you keep doing it hour after hour for 3,000 hours? And his answer was simple and memorable. And he said this, he said, the reason I do it is because I know it is inevitable that people will respond. Don't you love that choice of word? He didn't say it's possible. Maybe it could. He said it is inevitable that people will respond. And the reason he had what we're calling gospel confidence is because he knew the scriptures. He knew Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seeds. Yes, the seed gets scattered everywhere, and there are places where it lands where it doesn't uh, take root and bear fruit. But In so many lives, the gospel is heard and received with joy, and people come to saving faith in Jesus. And he didn't know who, he didn't know when, he didn't know in what number, but he knew it was inevitable that people would respond. And they've stayed with me as I thought, where is my confidence? Do I have that conviction that uh, it's inevitable that people will respond? You see, lots of people walked past him with their headphones on, Other people pointed and smiled, some laughed. There were some who simply wanted to distract or disrupt what he was saying with their alternative ideas about God. But what I want us to see this morning is that if it is inevitable that God is saving people in this world, if that's a promise of Jesus, not an aspiration, but a promise that we're joining him in the work that he is doing, then why not us? Why not someone that we have a conversation with at work? Why not our neighbor? Why not someone in our family? Why not someone we're just in a Twitter debate with? Where's your gospel confidence? I imagine you you came this morning believing God would be at work in this room. That's why you're here. You've come thinking, I know God is going to work through stories we're going to hear through the preaching of his word, through the songs that we're going to sing. God's at work, and I'm expectant. You're expectant when you're here on a Sunday. But God is with you the rest of the week. Can we take that conviction and that confidence that if God's speaking to us on a Sunday, why can't he speak to my colleague at work on a Monday? If he wants to, he can do it. 
We've got confidence that God is at work in our lives, in the lives of our church. And now we just need to have that same conviction that my friend had, that in the power of the gospel, it is mighty to save and that God is at work. An Aussie preacher called David Cook put it this way. He said, confidence comes from knowing that God is the divine evangelist. He's the one at work before us and ahead of us as we go. So um, do you notice that Paul chooses this word to describe himself in chapter 6 and verse 1? God's co-worker. That's what you are. You're not just co-working with other people in this room. God has gone before you, and God is at work in the hearts and lives of people that you don't even know yet, and you're his co-workers. And as co-workers, we're urging people not to receive the message of the gospel in vain. For as it says in verse 2, today is the day of salvation. Now, there's lots in these verses we're not going to look at. There's lots that we could talk about if you're doing a series on 2 Corinthians now or in the future, back in whichever church or family you're part of. Um, you might look at this in more detail. But I just want to draw out that principle, that it, today is a great day to be a co-worker with God because today is the day of salvation. People will come to faith in Jesus today in great numbers around the world and we get to share in that gospel work with him. So I want to say thank God to you and I that it's today and not yesterday. Not that Saturdays are not very good days. I'm sure you had a great day yesterday, um, whatever you're doing. I don't mean it in quite that way. But have you ever played the version of the game which says, if you could live at any time in human history, when would you like to live? Maybe you'll have it over lunch today, talk to your neighbor, say, when would you like to have been alive? Well, for me... I sort of think I'm pretty sure I would want to be alive um, in a time when there was general anesthetic and antibiotics. So let's rule out anything before the last 80 years. I'm glad to be alive um, in the time of general anesthetics and antibiotics. I'm also quite glad to be alive in a time when you can get on a plane and travel anywhere in the world. You might not see your luggage again, but you can at least get to various parts of the world. So let's say that's in the last 50 years, and, you, and it's affordable. It's affor- okay, so let's make that the last 50 years. And I'm really glad to be alive at a time where everyone speaks English, and I can speak pretty much to anyone in the world at any time. So let's make that about the last five years, okay? And I quite enjoy living in a time when Aston Villa have won more European championships than teams like Manchester City. And, um, and that's true even today. So I want to say today, can you, see the, can you see my logic? Today is a great time to be alive. But it's a great time to be alive, particularly in relation to the death and resurrection ascension of Jesus. Because back in chapter 3 of this letter, Paul's yesterday is really what he's describing as the ministry of the old covenant. And he's contrasting the privilege that we have to go with the gospel today relative to those who had to preach before the coming of Jesus' death and resurrection. You'll find it in chapter 3 if you have it. But if if you don't, we're just going to see these contrasts that he makes in chapter 3. He says, compared to Moses, my ministry is an amazing one. 
Because Moses' ministry, when he came down with Mount, from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, was to say, well, if you can do all of this, then, then you can live and have eternal life. But, of course, no one could. So he says, our ministry, the gospel that we bring, is the good news that someone can become a Christian today in a single conversation. Whatever their life has been like, whatever their situation before now, however many things they've thought and said and done that have been wrong, that they find really, they, they feel so convicted by, you can come to know God today in a moment through faith in Jesus Christ. Our ministry brings life, but the ministry that Moses had... And he was a man of God, remember, an amazing man of God. But what he was commissioned to do was to bring a ministry that brought death. In other words, do these commandments and you can live. Ours brings righteousness. In other words, people become, have the righteousness of Christ gifted to them rather than Moses, which simply brought condemnation and guilt and death. So living this side of the cross, verse 12, chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says when you've got a ministry like that, where in a single conversation on the bus, you could lead someone to eternal life in Jesus Christ. To have that ministry means you can be very bold. Because there's nothing anyone has to do other than to repent and believe Christ and be saved forever, whatever their past. We can be very bold. That's why it's great to be New Testament Christians living this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It means today is the day of salvation for anyone in the world. Whatever their life has been like, they can cross from death to life today. And many of them are, through faith in Jesus Christ, today coming to know Jesus Christ. It's great to live today rather than under the old covenant times. We can be very bold. And because of that, chapter 4, verse 1 goes on to say, therefore, with that kind of a ministry, we don't lose heart. Like my friend on the streets of Birmingham, 10,000 hours, why didn't he lose heart? Because every morning when that alarm went off, he thought, today is the day of salvation. It could be today. There could be someone in heaven because I get out of bed and I talk about Jesus today. Because it's as quick and as easy as faith in Jesus Christ. I don't lose heart. Because, verse 16, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Verse 16, all this is from God. The message of the gospel is simply from God, 516, who not only has reconciled us to himself, but has now given us this ministry of reconciliation. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, people couldn't come to faith in Christ in this way. But we live today and not yesterday. The day of salvation has arrived. And God is on the move in the cities and towns of the world. We've heard the stories already today. And the growth of the church is phenomenal. You know, when all of the missionaries were kicked out of China in the 1940s under Mao's cultural revolution, to become a member of the governing Communist Party, you had to renounce any religious faith and you had to be an atheist. To this day, to be a member of the ruling government of China, you have to be an atheist. 70 million people are members of the Communist Party in China. Ever join, you have to be an atheist. But 
since Mao kicked out all the Christian missionaries in the 1940s, God has done an extraordinary thing in China. And now today there are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. The Economist magazine estimated the number to be somewhere between 70 and 120 million Christians. And the Chinese government have developed the most amazing church planting strategy. Because what the Chinese government says is once you get to 25 people, you can't meet as a single community. That's illegal. So basically, you have to church plant every time you get to 25. I mean, talk about the wisdom of the world being confounded by the wisdom of God. That's the best church planting strategy imaginable, isn't it? Imagine that. Imagine if you said, right, the moment our church gets to 25, we plant. That's what the Communist Party have enforced upon the church in China, and that's why there's 100 million Christians there or thereabouts. In India, the church is now has grown from 2.5% of the population, 2.5%, remember India is over a billion people, 2.5%, it's now up to 6%. And that in the space of 10 years, according to Operation World, from doubled in 10 years the number of believers in what will soon be the most populous country in the world. In Brazil, in 1960, it was estimated there were 2 million Christians in Brazil in 1960. Today, it's estimated there are 50 million Christians in Brazil. Thank God it's today. God is doing amazing things, and he's starting doing it again, reviving the church all around the UK, as we've heard about London and as we've heard from here in Birmingham. Thank God it's today and not yesterday. And then thank God it's today and not tomorrow. See, there is a time coming, so I'll go come on to that in a moment. There is a time coming soon and very soon when the day of salvation will come to an end. We get to live in the time when God is at work in the world, saving people, but the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and coming soon. And when he comes, we will rejoice. In one sense, we can't wait for that day, but our work of salvation will come to an end. It will be too late for people to respond to the message of the gospel. The time is short. We don't know. It could be today. The Lord Jesus could come back today, this afternoon. Come back before we eat our lunch. Who knows? Before this sermon is finished. Who knows? We don't know. But we get to live between yesterday and tomorrow. And the today, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, is the day of salvation. This is it. This is the only, in all of world history, this is it. This is the window. And we get to live in it. And we get to share in what God is doing. And we get to work with God to bring salvation to the world. We don't know how long we've got. Today is the day of salvation. I love to read Spurgeon. Spurgeon was an extraordinary man of God, an amazing church planter in London. And uh, Spurgeon had this to say on that theme, today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to read it off the screen. He said, brethren, old-fashioned word for brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, he said, if I had my pick of days, I should like to go for... Okay. (laughs) Okay. If I had my pick of days, I should like to go forth and preach the gospel when it was a day of salvation. That's a good day to preach the gospel. 
when it's a day of salvation. Wouldn't you? One likes to go down the river with the tide. And if you can have a fair wind as well, it's grand sailing. But surely now, whenever you seek for souls, you have wind and tide with you. For it's the day of salvation. God is saving men. It is his daily business and his crowning glory. And he has set his heart on it. When the infinite Jehovah proclaims a day of salvation, the people shall be saved. And there shall be no question about it. Thousands upon thousands of erring ones shall repent and believe, and so shall be saved to the glory of God. Do not tell me that London is very wicked. I know that it is. But the Lord has much people in this city, and he will redeem them from all iniquity. His everlasting purpose shall not fail, and his infinite pity shall not be stayed. Glory be to his blessed name. He will accomplish all his purposes. For this is what? A day of salvation. And his people shall be called to him by some means, by any means, by every means. And they shall know that the Lord saveth not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. That is gospel confidence. Today is the day of salvation. I have a friend at City Church. He's 86 years old. His name is Roger. Many of us remember Roger and know him well. And this is his mission statement in life. Are you ready? This is his sole ambition in life at 86. He says, I want there to be more people in heaven because I lived than if I hadn't lived. That's it. I don't know what your ambition is for life. What would make your life a success? that there would be more people in heaven because you'd exist. That might be just putting an arm around a brother or sister who's struggling with something in their faith, just helping them get across the finishing line to glory. It's helping a Christian. It's serving in the local church. But it's also speaking of Jesus to those who don't know him. More people in heaven because you've lived than if you hadn't. That's a wonderful ambition for life. That's a gospel ambition And it's one that you and I can have as much as Roger. It's why he carries a New Testament with him, a Gideon's New Testament in his pocket, and looks for opportunities each day to give away. I said to him, we had breakfast a while ago. I said, Roger, I used you in my sermon on Sunday. And I mentioned the fact that you you carry a Gideon's New Testament. No sooner as I said it than he got his jacket out and he showed me. There it is. I'm ready. Today's the day of salvation. I'm ready to give this to whoever will receive it. God has many people in this place. God is at work, and our role is to join with what God is doing. That's it. He's doing it. We get to join in. Today's the day of salvation. So as we finish, I just want to um, show you five questions which I want you to maybe take away with you and reflect on to think what's stopping me. We're not, we're not gonna, I'm not going to preach on these, but I'm just going to give them to you and say maybe... It's in one of these five areas or one of these five questions that will most help you to think, yeah, I know this is true, but this is maybe what's, uh, what's stopping me, okay? So I'm sure we can capture these and get them sent out, can't we, in one form or another. They all begin with C, so that makes it easy and confusing at the same time. The culture question, uh, sorry, the compassion, oh, the numbering's gone. The number one at the top, it should say the compassion question, is do we care that there are people who don't know the Lord? Okay, That's the first one, isn't it? Is it on our hearts when we wake up that there are people who don't know Jesus and I'd long for, for them to know Jesus?
Then the culture question. Do I understand what people's issues are with Christianity? What's stopping them from even listening? Can I, can I find a way to at least have something if they talk about issues of um, other religions or suffering or transgender or the green, the green movement or, or whatever else it might be? The culture question. The content question. If someone said, so what's a Christian and how do I become one? Would you know what you would say to them in two minutes? Would you have that conviction? That's the content question. Do we know what the good news is? The confidence question, that's the one we've addressed today. It's the only one we've looked at today, isn't it, really? Do we believe that God's really in the business of saving sinners and that he could use you or me today? And then, um, oh, there we go. That's why it's down there twice for some reason. And the last one, the commitment question. Do we believe that God has given to us the message of reconciliation? Do we believe we're his ambassadors? Do we know that's why the Oikos Collective exists? That because he's given us that responsibility. Okay, so make, make those numbers and ordering right and then use those in your own time um, to reflect. But I'm grateful for the chance um, to be with you. I'm grateful to be on this journey um, with you um, as we seek to speak for Jesus. There are lots of people who are dear to my own heart who don't yet know him. And I need to continue, like you, to be prayerful. I need to continue, like you, to be expectant, to be confident. Today is the day of salvation. It's inevitable that people will respond. Why can't that be through God using me? Let's pray together. Now is indeed the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Thank you for the privilege of sharing, Lord Jesus, in the work that you are doing in this world, of bringing people from death to life. And we ask, Lord, please take us and use us, weak as we are, to be about your work now and in the future. Lord, give us courage, give us confidence, give us the answers that we need that you, as you prompt us to speak for Jesus and to live for Jesus, that there might be many more in heaven because we'd lived than if we hadn't. Amen. Five minutes or so, and they're going to come and sing. join us for our final song. We're going to release the children from their activities downstairs. But um, So, Neil, if we had to say one or two questions that we could talk about now, just before we, we have the children join us, which should we start with one and two? Well, the top two? Okay, that's fine. Great. Brilliant. So let's do that now. Let's let's go back into our groups, um, and we'll we'll do that. What? You got, sorry. Sorry. Shut up. Yep. Question that's most urgent for us. Which one of those questions is most urgent for us? So let's jump into groups. We'll spend five or six minutes in that, and then we'll sing our final song. Thank you.
the, the, the children are being released.